Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And can I begin by saying one more time thank you to all of our partners whose regular giving makes it possible for us to come into your ears wherever you're listening and however you're listening thank you for partners for underwriting this and making it possible to bring you the message of the love of God okay um, I want to go back and continue talking where we were last time which is the book of Joshua that sixth book of the Bible Joshua and you might remember Joshua is receiving his commission. Moses is dead. And Joshua now must stand in his shoes. And I don't wonder that he might have quaked a little at the idea. And so it says to him that he now is to do everything that Moses spoke of but never achieved it. And in verse 5, the Lord says to Joshua, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. And then in verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous. And then... Finally, in verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay, I mean, that's only nine verses. And over and over and over, he says the same words. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And then at the end and says, and let's take the negative side of that. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. Do not be dismayed. Be strong. I I think, as I said when we started this, there's a tremendous lesson here. There's in those words, courageous, be strong, courageous. And in the Hebrew, they're almost the same word. Um, It's a a tremendous importance, tremendous importance that we understand what courage is. But now put that on hold. That's Joshua in what is the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the old way of doing things before Jesus came and brought about the New Covenant. And the new covenant is not just tweaking the old. It is rather a quantum leap. It is entering into something that has never been dreamed of or imagined in all of the persons, Moses, Joshua, even Abraham back there, 
and the prophets of Samuel and Isaiah, Jeremiah, they'd never dreamed of it. It was beyond their comprehension. And Jesus speaks now to the disciples in the upper room before he suffers, dies, and rises from the dead and brings about that new covenant. He says to them, he's he's preparing them, that this is what it's going to be like in this new covenant, new in the sense you've never seen this before. And in verse 17 of John chapter 14, okay, remember Joshua, be strong, courageous, don't be afraid. Now it says in verse 17 of chapter 14 of John, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and, now in this new covenant, will be in you. Okay. You see, when we come to this word courage, I've I've said it's of tremendous importance. Let me uh, bring you up to where we left off. And that is... I've got to have courage to live. That is courage, that inner strength, right? The word C-O-R, it comes from all of the Latin languages, which means heart. And everything else in the scripture refers to this strength that is heart strength. It's not physical strength, though sometimes it affects physical strength. It is not primarily mental or emotional strength, though certainly it fuels mental and emotional strength. This begins in my heart, in the very core of my being, courage, strength. And if I don't have courage, then I am going to have fear. I'll address that in a minute. But we must have courage. You, you need, I need courage simply to live. <laughs> to live. Outside of God's courage, have you ever stood in a room and, and have you ever been in that place when people think you're important? I mean, you've got status in the room. But inside you feel like a little boy, a little girl that's standing in a room of adults and and you feel that you just don't have it. You don't know what to do, where to go. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever looked at your family and yourself as a husband or wife and and felt that you're a failure? You just don't know how to do this. You're making it up as you go along. I, I could keep going. But you see, life, just living in in relationships. I need this inner strength. I need this inner wisdom strategy. I need courage in order to fulfill my potential, not only as a human being, but as a human being in Christ Jesus. I I need courage to be the Christian that is described in, in the New Testament. I need courage to do the will of God. I can't do that in my own strength, in my own ability and wisdom. I'm faced with challenges in life, in every part of life. Um, 
challenges in my workplace, challenges in, in the home space, challenges among neighbors. I, I face opportunities, wide open doors of opportunities that I'm sure that God has opened again in the workplace, in the neighborhood, opportunities. I need courage to face the challenges. I need courage to walk through those doors. And we go through trials, sometimes trials that we feel will never end. And we need courage. We need that laying hold upon the very presence and person of the Holy Trinity from whence we have strength and courage to walk through testing, trial. Okay, let, let me get momentarily just a little bit specific. I mean, have you ever read in the scripture this life that you and I are called to live? A life of love one another as I have loved you. I mean, stop being religious on me. Listen to that. Jesus meant it. Love one another as I have loved you. I said, that's the Christian life. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, because of this love you have for one another. And I'm telling you, if you take that seriously, you will wilt like a flower in the sun. Dear God, I can't do that. Exactly. We need courage to love. Courage to, what's that other verse in Ephesians for? Love one another, yes, but also forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Again, I, I, I begin to, you see, I need courage to forgive. I need courage to exercise the joy that Jesus said that he gave us, his own personal joy. I need courage to give thanks to God in everything and at all times. I, sitting in the jail in Philippi, Paul and Silas sing praises to God until they could be heard outside the jail. Come on, stop, stop being religious. Yeah, where we read that in solemn tones and don't have a clue what he's talking about. Look, to do that, to... Give thanks to God at all times. I need courage. I need a strength that's beyond myself, you see. To live in the peace of God and, and, and to walk above and free from fear and anxiety, I need courage. To receive the promises of God that sometimes would appear so elusive, I need courage to stand, and having done all, stand. I need courage. I need courage to be me in Christ. The, 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 the vista that is presented to me of such a life is, is I, I can't handle It's too big. And, and if I don't have courage, you see, I will wither into a religious robot who will go and read this and listen to sermons that at least walk around the periphery of it and, and just sing the song and go home because I dare not face what it, it's saying, you see. I, I, I cannot face the, the challenge of it to live Christ on this earth. 
I need courage. I need courage to be that in the home under the scrutiny of family members. I need courage at work to to walk in the midst of this, what the scripture calls a rotten and corrupt and darkened generation. I need courage to live this Christian life even in the organized church. Because in all those areas we are standing against, if I live this life in Christ, I'm standing against a flood of ignorance the people have never heard. They do not understand such a life. They see Christianity as just another religion with a list of do's and don'ts that originated in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do good, don't do evil, be nice people, morality. Throw the word Jesus in there somewhere. No, we, we stand against that flood of ignorance, that, that, that darkness that has engulfed the human mind. You need courage. I mean, every, yeah, every one of us, not just pastors and missionaries, but every Mary, every Joe, eh, yeah, every one of us, every Tom, Dick, and Harry, you see, I, I can't do this. And of course, the New Testament was written essentially to very ordinary people, very ordinary people, the dock workers of Ephesus and business people in Colossae and so on. I need courage. Okay. You saw there in Joshua. I think I emphasized it enough. But did you see this? Especially that last verse. He was commanded to be strong and very courageous. But he was given the reason. The reason he must be courageous and can be courageous and can obey that command of be courageous is because the Lord says that I'll never leave you, never forsake you, I am with you. So hear me very carefully now. Courage, this divine courage that is promised from end to end of Scripture, that courage is inseparable from identity. You just don't draw courage out of nowhere. Joshua was told to draw that courage out of a solemn fact that had been presented to him. The Lord said, I am with you. With you. I mean, wow, with me. So that I'm never alone. I have the withness of the presence of God. I, I never sit down alone in my anxiety to try to wonder what are we going to do tomorrow. Uh, I have him with me who shall impart to me his knowledge, his insight, his discernment, his strength, his abilities with me. He's alongside of me. He's behind me. He's ahead of me. He is with me. And with me, even as with Moses, so that Moses must not be looked upon as some fellow that stands on a thousand-foot pedestal that no other human can be like him. No, the Lord says, Moses, I was with Moses, but he didn't finish the job, you see. And so you are going to finish the job he started, and I'm with you as I was with Moses. 
That's who you are. You are a God with you person. You must never think of yourself as Joshua. You're not Joshua. Joshua is finished. You are God with Joshua. That's your name. God with Joshua. You are a man with whom God has sworn in covenant oath that he will never leave and never forsake. And he'll be with you at every step and turn and twist of the journey. That's who you are, Joshua. That's your identity. So you may feel passing feelings of fear. You may feel a lot of things. But you'll always come back to who you are. Identity. Identity. I would say that is increasingly. You might have noticed it if you followed what I'm talking about these days. Identity. Who you are. And I think it's because I'm hearing so many persons who are identifying themselves by circumstances. They're identifying themselves by even their diseases and disabilities. And they're identifying themselves by their past. They go around and say, I am this, I am that, I am the other. Even identifying themselves simply with their work. Not realizing that when they retire, now how do you identify yourself? You see, you say, well, I, I'm a CEO. Well, you've got problems, chap, um, because one day you'll retire from being a CEO. Then who are you? Ah, you see the point? No, you do the job of a CEO, and the kind of job you do is because of who you are. Who you are. And that who you are was true before you were CEO, during your period of being CEO, and when you retire, you'll still be that am, that core person, your identity. Who are you? And notice how right alongside of courage in that Joshua passage, it talks about don't be afraid. Now, think about this. Uh, possibly could spend a lot longer than I'm going to on this, but enough to say fear. Okay? Fear. And of course all of its spawn, all of its ugly children, you know, anxiety and worry and timidity and terror and all those things. Fear. Hear me. Fear does not have an energy of its own. Or could I say this? Fear, along with hatred, is not originally what? It's not native to the human. Humans were never created with fear, they were never created to be afraid. It doesn't belong to our basic human setup. We're not wired for that any more than we were created to hate. We weren't. That, that, that's something that we learned along with fear. We learned it directly from Satan. It's not native to us. Okay? so it doesn't have its own energy, then what is fear? Fear came in. Fear happened when mankind 
Adam and Eve, they lost all sense of God's love toward them and with them and around them. And in the absence, the perceived absence of God's love and God's immediate love presence, in the absence of their knowing with heart, knowing the love of God, the very first words out of their mouth, I was afraid. Fear came into the vacuum. Love has its own energy. Love is unbeginning. Love is there before creation. Fear never was. But love is. And when we shut the door against love or in ignorance do not understand the love that God has toward us, then fear takes its place. So in the New Testament it says, love, perfect love, God love, casts out all fear. Did you notice there it doesn't say that fear casts out love? No, it never does. Where love is, where that sense of divine presence embracing me, loving me here, now, as I am, fear cannot take root. Fear can never cast out love. But the presence of love and the opening of my eyes to love does cast out fear. Think about that. You see, courage is knowing that I'm not alone. Courage is that I know that I am organically part of something infinitely bigger than myself. Oh, Joshua, who are you? Give me your resume, Joshua. Okay, you spent the first 40 years of your life as a slave. That's not much. Um, And you've wandered in the wilderness for the last 40 years. And and you're 80 years old. Good grief. He's hardly the sort of chap I'd put in charge of finishing the work Moses began. Ah, but you see, there's more to Joshua than meets the eye. He is not alone. He is organically part of the purpose and the plan of God brought about by his love. Something so much bigger than himself. And you might notice something of... I I, I think I've said it really, but let me say it for sure. It says the Lord says that he is with him. And Lord, you know that is the way in which that they have, I'm not translated, but they have put that word in instead of the name that God gave to Moses, which Yahweh is the closest we get to it. Um, and, and the translation of it is, I am, I am. That is, he's never a was, he's never a has been, he's never merely a dusty relic of the past. 
He's I am, ever present, always is. Nor is he someone remotely in the future that must develop and mature into being something other than he is. He is I am, whether I drop down in the past, he says his name is I am. And when I would look into the future, he describes himself as I am. And he says to Joshua, let me repeat it, as I was with Moses, so I am with you. That, that is, don't look back to Moses. Don't define me merely by history. Don't, don't just know that, well, God did this once. He did this once. No, all that, I, all that I was with Moses, I am present tense with you. Do you, do you understand? This is what you're part of, Joshua. Don't, don't think of yourself as an 80-year-old chap who, who's had sort of a rocky road. No, you are part of the I am, the God who always is everything he always is and can never be less than he always is. I am. It's not a mental event in past historical events. It's not pouring over ancient scrolls of doctrine and theology. Though I'm a theologian and have doctorates in theology, um, but that, that's not where faith comes from, you see. Faith is in the is God. Faith is in the one who in this micro moment is everything he's ever been. Now is. Courage is knowing that. It's knowing that in this very moment, everything that is needed is already present in the person of the God who said he is with me and will never leave me. That's courage, Allah Joshua. But now, move right. That, that was true. You can jump down pretty well anywhere in the Old Testament and sooner or later you're going to read the words either God saying I'm with you or some human person responding and saying the Lord be with you or bees with you or saying the Lord is with me. That, that's the key phrase of the Old Testament. They were a people who understood that God was with them. And we move into the New Testament. And in Jesus, what do we find in Jesus? We find the beginning, can you hear me now? The beginning of a new race of people. You are not just the oddball who goes to the Presbyterian church. You are part of a new kind of human that came into existence in Jesus when God joined himself into the human and never ceased to be God became 100% human and he now is going to carry this race to death and in his resurrection he's going to raise us from death he, he's going to rebirth us on the morning of the resurrection and he's going to give to us the same Holy Spirit that lived and dwelled upon and in him and he said those words that we read I, I, I guess I could spend the whole hour on it that upper room 
I mean, you could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. They know they're entering into a time of great despair and trouble. They can't imagine what it is, though. And at the same time, Jesus is saying, this is the beginning of a new day. This is something that's never happened before. And I'm educating you on how to live and what it's going to be like in that new world. The new world of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant. I say it again. The new covenant was a quantum leap. Not, not just a sort of maturing of the old. No, it, it, it's a quantum leap into something that had never been before, never imagined before, never dreamed of before. And here he says it, probably the best verse to link the two. He says, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He is with you. Yeah, you've got the entire Old Testament concerning Him being with you the source of your courage and strength to live and be. But he said, in this day, that's going to take place when he rises from the dead and ascends and gives the Holy Spirit, he says, in this new day, he will be with you, of course, he, he'll be with you, but he will be in you, with, with, will take on a new meaning. He'll be in you not alongside of you only not ahead of you only he'll be in you I mean have you read this so long it doesn't register anymore God Holy Spirit will be in you and his being in you said Jesus in chapter 16 means that God the Father will be in you and God the Son Jesus himself will be in you you will be so wrapped up in the Holy Trinity that's a Christian that's new covenant that's your identity Joshua could say that he is a person. It's God who is with Joshua. That's who he is. That's his identity. That's his amnes. That's his core. God with Joshua. But in the New Testament, that identity is blown beyond anything, any boundary, any file that they had in the Old Testament. The identity now, in and through Jesus, is that Malcolm is a person in whom the fullness of God dwells. That's who I am. Who I am. Christ in you. The hope of glory, the hope of every dream that's ever been in God's heart for you. Every hope of God for his glorious plan and purpose for you fulfilled. How? Because Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is dwelling in us. It's in my, in my core. I'm no, no longer just Malcolm, I'm Christ in Malcolm. My thoughts, my emotions, Christ dwells in me. He says, you have the mind of Christ. 
and my work, wherever that is, whatever hour of the day or night, whatever place in space, I live, yet not I. It is Christ who lives in me. That's Christianity. That's the good news. You understand that there are millions of Christians that have never really moved out of the Old Testament. And, and did you hear what I just said? Christ in you. For me to live is Christ. That means where Jesus is, that's where I am. Now think about it. Weigh my words. If he is in me and I am in him, and I'm quoting scripture now, Jesus' own words. In John 15, it says, I, I, <clears throat> I'll be in you, I'll dwell in you, and you will dwell in me. So that means, I mean, to any common sense, let alone one enlightened by the Spirit, those words mean that where Jesus is, that's where I am. But it also means where I am, He is. That's being a Christian. It's the good news. And Jesus is ever in the Father, and the Father in Him. And therefore, are you getting this? I'm in Him, and He's in the Father, and the Father's in Him, and He's in me. I am so intricately wrapped up in the Holy Trinity. That's my life. It's inside that holy union that I play out my life. I do my work. I live my life. I live my relational lives. Uh, my home is in the middle of that. My play is in the middle of that. For God's into play. He invented it. You say, that's going a bit far. I've heard that before. But you see, John said in his first epistle, didn't he? As he, Jesus, is, so are we in this world. And here's, here's another one that um, we, we say it all the time. Do we understand what we're saying? The scripture says we are the body of Christ. I mean, get it. The head, the head of the body, the thought, the brain of the body is Jesus. Ascended in that invisible half of the universe, in the very center of all existence, Jesus is still joined to us humans. And you and I, we are so joined to him, we are so in union with him that we're called the body of Christ. Now look, you're, you're looking at me right now, and my head is staring at you through this screen. But of course my body is there too. I mean, it would be daft, wouldn't it, to say my head is presently speaking to you. My body will be around in a bit. No, of course not. I mean, of course not, isn't it? 
If my head is rich, my body is rich. If my body is here, my head is here, my head is here, my body is here. My head is healthy, my body is healthy. Well, please understand, when Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 12, he makes a point, he said that... that what he was saying when he said that we are the body of Christ, he was not saying that this is a jolly good illustration of things, you know. We're like it. No, no, he didn't say we're like He said, so is Christ. It's the way Christ is. He's the head with the body. That is, we are so united with Jesus for him to live. He lives in us. And for us to live, we live in him. We are one. We're one. Uh, and if you read uh, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, uh, when the Holy Spirit was given, Peter makes a point uh, of saying that the same Holy Spirit, can, can I grasp this? The same Holy Spirit who is now, as I speak, same Holy Spirit that is upon with, in, Jesus, is upon, with, in, me, and you. It means we are connected with Jesus and walk on this earth in the same Holy Spirit, in the same Holy Spirit upon and in you is upon and in me and in him. That means I'm connected to you and you to me. And Jesus said in those chapters in John's Gospel, 14, 15, 16, and 17, he says that the love, hear me, the love the Father has for Jesus is the same love that he has for us. You are loved by the Father even as the Father loved and loves Jesus. Same love. And the same blessing and strength, the same authority, ability, wisdom flows from the head Jesus into the body, you and I. So much so that you and I are called the sons and daughters of God, even as Jesus was called Son of God and is our elder brother. He, by unbegun nature, we, by sheer gift, but we, we call his Abba our Abba. And it says in Romans 8 that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. Everything that Jesus was given was given to us. And that is so. I've said this before. Religion cannot bear the word is. Religion is terrified of the word now. Because religion can only exist on what was. Religion is stacked up cobwebs of what once was, what God once did. 
But that's all over some go to extent of, of even giving the date of when God stopped being everything he was. And then religion must have everything in the future because it lives at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so it's forever telling you when you are good when you stop that evil then you will so God is at two ends of our spectrum and here in the middle where we live religion strips him away there's nothing here he was, he used to be, and he will be if you'll ever get your act together. But right now he isn't. Whereas, what I'm saying to you, can you grasp it? At this very moment, as my words fall upon your ear, all that God is, he is. As he was with Moses, as he was with Joshua, as he was with Jesus, as he was with Peter and Paul and Silas and Barnabas, as he was, so he is with you now, is now. Not after you've fasted 40 days, not after you've read the Bible five times through, no, now, as you're breathing, as your ears are vibrating to the sound of my voice, it is so. It is so. All the love that God has ever revealed to humankind is in this moment filling your car, filling your living room, your office. He is so. And let me go one step further. At this very moment, all the love that God ever has and is and ever will be is right now within you. All his strength in you. Every thought he has of you is love. And every desire is to give you his strength and ability and wisdom. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. Huh. Or as the scripture says, he, Jesus, is all and in all. I know this is terrifying to some people. Let me go another step. I can't get beyond what I've just said, but pull that out a bit. It means that as you rise out of your bed in the morning, He is. He is everything that He is. Which means He's already arranging your day. He's already... The conductor causing all of life to flow together in a symphony of good. He makes your path plain before you. In that kind of functioning relationship, because it all is. See, this is faith. You can't have faith in a God who was. You'll, you'll just get a migraine headache trying to make that happen. Nor can you have faith in a God who isn't yet, but will be if you do something. Maybe if you have enough faith. No. Faith is 
in the God who is now. Do you feel the Holy Spirit warming your heart when that dawns on you? He is. I, I, I. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. You know, we. Before we came to Christ, we tried to tell God when He could love us. When we determined we were good enough, then we would deserve His love. And then when we. Or oh, what's that word they always use when I backslid? When, when I was not doing everything the church told me I was supposed to do, then I, I had to withdraw the permission. God couldn't love me until I got my act together again. It's stupid. As if you little puny pea brain person can ever affect the way God thinks about you. No, of course not. No, nor, nor can I... God loves me because God is love. God loves me on his own initiative. God loves me because that's the way God is. Stop your religious pride to think that you, you can change the very being of God by what you do. No. God is God is God is God. And, and, and that reduces me to the creature I stand before God. I can't change him. I can't make him love me. I can't make him stop loving me. He is. And so I wake in the morning just to say thank you. You is. And that means when I go to breakfast, when I walk out the door, he is, he is. And he is for me. You're never off his mind. He thinks of you. He mulls over who you are. He loves what you are. He dances with your thoughts. He plays in your emotions. He loves you. And all his thoughts of you are tenderness and gentleness and desire to give you his very self, all that he is. And when I know that, and say yes to that without all the anxiety of trying to be good enough for that I find courage I can face the world I can go and I can be the overspill you see Jesus said didn't he I am the vine you are the branches hold it hold it right there you are the branches well I don't know if I ever made my decision to be a branch you see what's he saying you are the branches why, why doesn't he give an appeal and say who'll be the first to walk down the aisle and say I want to be a branch no he didn't say that he says you are oh dear that's really disconcerting it means he made me a branch without consulting me. You are. God the Father placed you in Christ. And when Jesus died, you died. And you didn't know anything about it when it happened, but God took his love initiative. And when Jesus rose from the dead, you rose from the dead. And when he ascended, he carried you with him right into the heart of the Holy Trinity. You are 
the branches. Stop fussing about trying to get into Christ. The Father placed you there. What the whole New Testament and what Jesus says in the next verse after that in John 15, you are the branches. Then he goes on in the next five or six verses. He says, now you abide in me. That is, you have been placed into me. Now, settle down. This is your life. This is your home. Abide or stay here or dwell here. That's who we are. So the scripture talks about a Christian being his life is hidden with Christ in God. By the way, you do realize I'm still talking about your identity. This is who you are. And don't give me any of that stuff. Well, it's, it's positional, whatever that means. Positional. I, I get the drift when I hear people say that, that, it, they, that they mean it might be what the Bible says, but <laughs> there's no chance of living it. No, I'm simply talking, this is who you are. This is who you are. Why is this so strange to so many people? I think it's because who we are has not exactly been the subject of the church's preaching over the decades, even last couple of centuries. The church has been obsessed with where we're going. So those appeals that are made at the end of Sunday service, it, it, it always with those things, you know, every head bowed, every eye closed. And if you died tonight, where are you going? You know, you try and find that question in the Bible. It's not there. Now the, the Bible is not really obsessed with where you're going. The Bible has one focus, and that is who are you now? Because once I've got my amnes settled, once I know who I am, my identity, then the subject of where I'm going just falls into place. Because the kind of person I am in Christ inevitably goes on into the eternities dancing with the Holy Trinity. But if I focus on where I'm going, then in between times I'm left confused and wondering indeed who I am. Why am I then? Because if you don't know who you are, you don't know why you are. It's identity. Then you have courage. For when your heart is fixed on who you are in Christ, with this heart knowing, then you stand if necessary, against everything your ancestors taught you. Whatever religion taught you, whatever appearances around you may be teaching you. It's who you are. You focus on who you are. You keep yourself, says Jude, you keep yourself in the love of God and you are alert to anything that would upset that. The most precious gift you've ever been given is that the Father put you into Christ. I guard that. I keep it. I won't listen to my ancestors. God bless them, but they didn't know what they were talking about half the time. 
I won't I won't let appearances define me. I won't let events in my life, whether they be success or failures, I won't let them define me. That happened to me, but it's not who I am. My identity is a man in Christ, Christ in him, in the Father, walking in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm alert. I'm alert to that tree that ever grows of knowledge and good and evil. Of good and evil. You know, what? That, that was the system. You see, Satan said, you are gods. And the way that you activate that, that terrible, terrible independence of the only true God, to, to look within yourself to discover God. Now, the way to activate that, said the devil, is eat of the tree. Because once you do that, that will be your final. It will be, be a, a physical, a sacramental disobedience. And then you will know good and evil. Oi, oi. Yes. I'll go through life. And I'm judging everything as good or evil. Trouble is, I, I keep changing my mind. In fact, what's good changes from East Coast to West Coast, and certainly it changes in the Midwest. Um, I know it changes in France too, it changes in the UK. Everybody's got their own opinion, and everybody's condemning everybody else for not being what they call good. It's really daft, you know. But uh, that that's good and evil. And... and out of that tree grew all the religions of the world because they now you see it's a matter of you've got to do good and then God will accept you because God in this new system God is the one who judges good and evil and he's mad at you if you do evil and he likes you if you do enough good but somehow I can never do enough good and if only I can do enough good, then I'd be worthy, you see. And if I was worthy, then God could love me, and then God could give me and bless me. Huh. Yeah, that's, that's the tree of death. But it's all around me, everywhere. That's where everybody's at. That's the world system. See, that uh, I, you mustn't be worldly. Well, worldliness is, is not smoking and having a glass of wine. That's not worldliness. Worldliness is just what I said. It's living by, I've got to do good and I've got to avoid evil. It's, it's morality, whatever religion it turns up in. And I'm talking mostly to Christians. So Christian morality, all by itself, trying to do good. I, I mustn't do this. I mustn't do that. I, I, I've got to do this. And if you do this, and if you do that, because that's good, and that's evil. So avoid the evil, do the good, and you've got to do enough of it. It's all around us. It's banging on our ears. It's bombarding our eyes. And the minute I get into that, I feel unworthy. I'm not good enough. And the minute I get into that, my past becomes the way I define myself. Because believe me, if I look at my past, I didn't do enough good. Believe me, 
I got bucket loads of evil, so I'm finished. I'm unworthy. I'm no good. No. You've got to stop thinking thoughts that arise from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Repentance means you exchange your thoughts for the thoughts of God. The true God who believes in his own love and reveals that love in his word in flesh, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit brings us that truth. But also I must now believe the thoughts of God about me. I've got to believe the faith of God in Jesus Christ about me. And he doesn't bother with good or evil because he's the tree of life. And you can't earn life. You can't deserve life. You don't get life if you're good enough or avoided evil enough. Life is a gift. And life is a gift that came to you through love. And life, God life, that rises from God love through the blood of Jesus that life lives the life of love that begat it. And that is a quantum leap above good and evil. That's the life of God. So we're not defined by our past. God never defines us by our past. The blood of Jesus Christ wipes out our past. He never thinks of us as unworthy. Never. How could he? He placed you in Christ and Christ brought that all to death and raised you to look farther straight in the face and to hear his voice saying, I love you, you are my beloved child. Okay, my time is gone. See, it's out of that courage that draws life, that lives life out from who I truly am in Christ. Then my life impacts others, whether I'm thinking about it or not. So Joseph goes and works for Potiphar. This is old covenant. But he goes to, and it says that the Lord blessed the house of Potiphar. He was an idolater of the first degree. But the whole house of Potiphar was blessed. Why? Because blessing was sent to him in a package called Joseph. And so on and so on. Whether that package was called Paul or Barnabas or Silas or Peter or John or Jack or Mary or Michael or Malcolm... God's blessing is always wrapped up in a person who give out of, you know, Peter, when he goes to that chap of Gate Beautiful and he, you know, he was a couple. Do you remember what Peter said? It's fascinating. He said, such as I have, I give to you. Out of who I see myself to be in Christ, all that I have through Jesus, I now give freely. In everything I do, the way I work in the office, the way I act in the factory, 
the way I am to my neighbors, the kind of person I am in the home. I live, yet it's not I, it's Christ. Such as I have, I give to you. And we bring heaven to earth. That's who we are. Well, I think I'm done for this week. And may indeed the Holy Spirit open all of our eyes to see exactly who we are and tap into this vast reservoir of divine courage to live. And please, let me say one more time, our winter retreat, the first weekend of December in San Antonio, um, it would be fantastic to see you. But please, please register because we're rapidly approaching the cutoff time. Please register. Um, and you can register online. You can register by phone. It's all there on our website. And so do it. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our understanding that we might know the hope to which we are called and who He has made us in Christ Jesus. So I bless you. That is the way it is. Amen.